I think the thing that I find surprising is that, again, in this day and age, you know, data is key to business success, competitive advantage, everything else. I'm always amazed at the number of large companies where the data teams are like, I, I can't get any traction. You know, I, I can't get budget. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Delivery Layer podcast. I am Solomon Khan, the founder of Delivery Layer, and I'm excited to have you here where we talk about data that drives revenue. All right, Ben, welcome to the Delivery Layer podcast. Excited to have you. Thanks, Saul. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. All right. So, um, Ben, uh, do you want to introduce yourself to the to the audience and just give a little bit of uh, sort of quick intro into who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. So, Ben Hoban, uh, I'm a data strategist currently, but uh, my background, I think while we're talking, is that the background has been finance strategy. So I kind of grew up in the big consulting world. I made the jump to data about a year ago and haven't looked back. So I uh, want to kind of talk to that with you, share some insights and trials and tribulations. I know others have gone through it as well. So hopefully this will be interesting and uh, compelling. So Yeah, definitely. I'm really looking forward because for me, I've always felt like data was this great combination of the business and technology. And here you are, you you were in the business for a very long time and then just recently got into data. So just to put a point on it, you were in finance doing sort of advisory work on corporate transactions for like 16 years. And then a year ago, you 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 got into data. So walk through that. Why, why did you make that shift? Yeah. So look, I mean, as you said, I spent like 15, 16 years in the big four. Uh, so like Ernst & Young, PDBC, you know, big, big companies, great training ground, things like that. But look, there's sort of, I, I think, a point in one's career. And I'm not saying midlife crisis, it wasn't that. But, you know, a point in your career, where you're like, is this my last job? Is this what I want to do, you know, until I retire? And as I thought through it, the answer was no. Like, I like what I did. Like, I love finance. I love strategy and the whole deal sector. But as I thought through it, I'm like, I'll be doing the same job in the next 15 years as I'm doing today. And that didn't sit well with me. You know, what else is out there? What else can I do? How can I use these skills that I've gained through all these years of, of, of deals and consulting to add value somewhere else? You know, I start, started looking around, seeing what was out there. And I kept coming back to data. And the reason being, when I was in consulting at EY, we did a bunch of surveys on capital plan. So, we, you know, we'd ask, we'd ask clients, hey, like, you know, when you go through your portfolio, you know, what's your challenges? What kind of stops you from making good decisions? And every year they would say, I don't have data visibility. I can't get the right insights. So I always kind of knew that data is actually a roadblock. Even these are like, Fortune 100 companies, like that is a roadblock. And that kind of blew my mind. So to me, I'm like, I can probably add value in this space and take this strategic finance knowledge and, you know, impart data into it and, and you know, kind of help transform things a bit. All right. So, so a non midlife crisis, but finding even on the corporate transaction side, just a lot of data opportunities. And so you kind of saw, saw the opportunity to take a jump. Uh, and then, and then you did. So, like, coming into the industry, what's your first reaction? You're a year into working at Cloudera. Is it as you expected? Or rather, how is it as you expected? And how is it different than you expected? Yeah. Um, 
Look, I mean, like, again, going from where I came from, you were talking like companies that are global, have 100,000 employees, you know, the world's biggest budget. So it's going from a very regimented place to work, which isn't a bad thing, but, you know, very rules-based, very procedural-based to almost what I expected. I wouldn't say the Wild West, but things are much more, much more ad hoc, right? Like the focus is on tech development. So that leads the company, as most companies, and to me, the processes that you'd expect to be there supporting you are sort of, you know, something else that that's not the first thing in line. So it wasn't unexpected, but I think just the level of, you know, have to build it yourself, do it yourself, which is totally fine and interesting, was definitely there. Where before, there's always, you know, always a page to pull, always someone's hand you, you could bring in. It's much more, you know, let's get these things done, build it yourself, you know, figure it out versus... Yeah, we got to plug up for that. Go call Joe. Joe can get this done for you. Um, but to me, that, you know, that wasn't unexpected. It's, it's so funny. One of the things that I always like to think about is sort of orders of magnitude problems and what problems happen at what orders of magnitude. And w- what's so interesting is you've been at the highest echelon of those orders of magnitude and you went down maybe two orders of magnitude, but it, it makes me wonder because Cloudera is not small, right? You're at what, four or 5,000 people there, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. somewhere around yeah. there. So there's like, there's like multiple orders of magnitude below that as well, that it's just interesting to think about how, how coming from such a big company, it's noticeable to you, even a 4,000 person company, how different it is. What does that mean for the you know, 40 person company who's hiring their first data people or the 150 person company that finally has a data team. So that's interesting. So a year in and was this, how are, how are you finding the background and experience that you had on the, on the finance side, translating to the day to day for, or, or maybe talk a little bit about what you do day to day. And then also how does the how does how does your background translate? Yeah, so, so look, like honestly, Saul, so I came in not as a tech guy by any sense of the word. Like I can barely set up like a Google Mesh router. Like I'm very non-tech oriented. So I had a lot of learning to do. Um, but again, my thought, and it's kind of proven true, is that tech companies, especially the sales side, you're very you're hyper focused on getting product out the door, and it's not always telling a kind of consultative story. It's let's get this sold, let's get it done. So I found in coming here and you know talking to other um, uh, peers, it, it's similar elsewhere as well. But you know in the tech world, you kind of make product, you sell product. It's usually a product-led organization. So there's not always a conversation on well, how do we help the client? You know, to, to close the deal, can we quantify the benefit? Can we think through how this helps them achieve a key objective? That's not always done. And to me, uh, a lot of people found that like eye-opening. I, I talked to some of our account execs and say, well, let's do some account research. Let's think through their goals. How do we tie our product to those goals? And, and you know, what's the number? And it's things that, you know, they, they hadn't had the time to think through. So to me, being able to be here and help them kind of guide them on this process of, you know, consultative selling. Because like to me, like we've got really cool products that do a lot of great things. But a lot of times we'd, we'd kind of talk to, we talked to the tech companies where the data teams are like, I, I can't get any traction. You know, I, I can't get budget. 
Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Delivery Layer podcast. I am Solomon Khan, the founder of Delivery Layer, and I'm excited to have you here where we talk about data that drives revenue. All right, Ben, welcome to the Delivery Layer podcast. Excited to have you. <laughs> thanks, Saul. Thanks, thanks for having me. Good to be here. All right. So, um, Ben, uh, do you want to introduce yourself to the to the audience and just give a little bit of uh, sort of quick intro into who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. So, Ben Hoven. Uh, I'm a data strategist currently, but uh, my background, I think while we're talking, is that the background has been finance strategy. So I kind of grew up in the big consulting world. I made the jump to data about a year ago and haven't looked back. So I uh, want to kind of talk to that with you, share some insights and trials and tribulations. I know others have gone through it as well. So hopefully this will be interesting and uh, compelling. So Yeah, definitely. I'm really looking forward because for me, I've always felt like data was this great combination of the business and technology. And here you are, you you were in the business for a very long time and then just recently got into data. So just to put a point on it, you were in finance doing sort of advisory work on corporate transactions for like 16 years. And then a year ago, you 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 got into data. So walk through that. Why, why did you make that shift? Yeah. So look, I mean, as you said, I spent like 15, 16 years in the big four. Uh, so like Ernst Young, PDBC, you know, big, big companies, great training ground, things like that. But look, there's sort of, I, I think, a point in one's career. And I'm not saying midlife crisis, it wasn't that. But, you know, a point in your career, where you're like, is this my last job? Is this what I want to do, you know, until I retire? And it's a thought through it. The answer was no. Like, I like what I did. Like, I love finance. I love strategy and the whole deal sector. But as I thought through it, I'm like, I'll be doing the same job in the next 15 years as I'm doing today. And that didn't sit well with me. You know, what else is out there? What else can I do? How can I use these skills that I've gained through all these years of, of, of deals and consulting to add value somewhere else? You know, I start, started looking around, seeing what was out there. And I kept coming back to data. And the reason being, when I was in consulting at EY, we did a bunch of surveys on capital plan. So, we, you know, we'd ask, we'd ask clients, hey, like, you know, when you go through your portfolio, you know, what's your challenges? What kind of stops you from making good decisions? And every year they would say, I don't have data visibility. I can't get the right insights. So I always kind of knew that data is actually a roadblock. Even these are like Fortune 100 companies, like data is a roadblock. And it kind of blew my mind. So to me, I'm like, I can probably add value in this space and take this strategic finance knowledge and, you know, impart data into it and, and you know, kind of help transform things a bit. All right. So, so a non midlife crisis, but finding even on the corporate transaction side, just a lot of data opportunities. And so you kind of saw, saw the opportunity to take a jump, uh, and then, and then you did. So like coming into the industry, what's your first reaction? You're a year into working at Cloudera. Is it as you expected or rather, how is it as you expected and how is it different than you expected? Yeah. Um, look, I mean, like, again, going from where I came from, I mean, we're talking like companies that are global, have 100,000 employees, you know, the world's biggest budget. So it's going from a very regimented place to work, which isn't a bad thing, but, you know, very rules-based, very procedural-based 
to almost what I expected. I wouldn't say the Wild West, but things are much more, much more ad hoc, right? Like the focus is on tech development. So that leads the company as most companies. And to me, the processes that you'd expect to be there supporting you are sort of, you know, something else that that's not the first thing in line. So it wasn't unexpected, but I think just the level of, you know, have to build it yourself, do it yourself, which is totally fine and interesting, was definitely there. Where before there's always, you know, always a page to pull, always someone's hand you, you could bring in. It's much more, you know, let's get these things done, build it yourself, you know, figure it out versus, yeah, we got to plug up for that. Go call Joe. Joe can get this done for you. Um, but to me, that, you know, that wasn't unexpected. It's, it's so funny. One of the things that I always like to think about is sort of orders of magnitude problems and what problems happen at what orders of magnitude. And what's so interesting is you've been at the highest echelon of those orders of magnitude and you went down maybe two orders of magnitude, but it, it makes me wonder because Cloudera is not small, right? You're at what, four or 5,000 people there, I'm guessing, somewhere around yeah. there. So there's like, there's like multiple orders of magnitude below that as well, that it's just interesting to think about how, how coming from such a big company, it's noticeable to you, even a 4,000 person company, how different it is. What does that mean for the, you know, 40 person company who's hiring their first data people or the 150 person company that finally has a data team? So that's interesting. So a year in. And was this, how are, how are you finding the background and experience that you had on the, on the finance side, translating to the day-to-day for, or, or maybe talk a little bit about what you do day-to-day and then also how does the, how does, how does your background translate? Yeah. So, so look, like, honestly, so I came in not as a tech guy by any sense of the world. Like I can really set up like a Google mesh router. Like I'm very non-tech oriented. So I had a lot of learning to do. Um, but again, my thought, and it's kind of proven true, is that tech companies, especially the sales side, you're very you're hyper-focused on getting product out the door. And it's not always telling a kind of consultative story. It's let's get this sold, let's get it done. So I found in coming here and you know talking to other um, uh, peers, it, it's similar elsewhere as well. But you know in the tech world, you kind of make product, you sell product. It's usually a product-led organization. So there's not always a conversation on well, how do we help the client? You know, to, to close the deal, can we quantify the benefit? Can we think through how this helps them achieve a key objective? That's not always done. And to me, a lot of people found that like eye-opening. I, I talked to some of our account execs and say, well. Let's do some account research. Let's think through their goals. How do we tie our product to those goals? And, and you know, what's the number? And it's things that, you know, they, they hadn't had the time to think through. So to me, being able to be here and help them kind of guide them on this process of, you know, consultative selling. Because like to me, like we've got really cool products that do a lot of great things. But a lot of times we'd, we'd kind of talk to, we talk to the tech guys, right? We, we talk to the, you know, platform director and say, hey, you know, we had the best product for, you know, NiFi or for Dataflow, but it wasn't what it does. It's that it technically gets the job done. No one talked about the benefit or the why. And to me, that, that gets powerful and kind of differentiates you. That's super interesting. So then you're you're pretty deep 
on the sales side of Cloudera, helping translate some of your capabilities to, you know, how that fits into business value for big corporations. I mean, it's a little surprising that that's that that's an evolution. I, I've at least from what I've seen now. Now that you've said it, and that I'm thinking about it more, it's not it's not that much of a surprise that it's happening. It's a surprise that the salespeople. Um, haven't been doing more of this all along. Do you think that's because of the environment that they were selling into? Is it that the buying business execs are shutting their eyes to data engineering questions and just telling their engineering teams to make decisions and and don't want buy-in? Is there something else going on there? Because I imagine the salespeople in any company would rather sell to the business than sell to the engineers because the business has a, has a big budget. So how do you, where, where do you think that relationship has been is, or is going that's causing some of this dynamic? Yeah. So look, I mean, I think part of it is our evolution as a company, right? So, you know, the, you know, which is Clutter and um, Hadoop when, when they combined, you know, they're, they're sort of like legacy systems. They're used for, a, for you know, data storage, you know, data processing. You know, they were some of the, the first movers in the field. And I think what happened is that we built a lot of great accounts, built a lot of great um, product and, you know, got things in the door. But then it, it was easy, I think, to harvest what you put in the field and not necessarily plow new fields and things like that. So, I think what happened is that as new competitors came in, you know, you look at Databricks and Snowflake, they've got an easy to use product. It's a great SaaS product. You know, like you can go with your credit card to get started in five minutes. So, but it's more so that as they market it, they didn't market as, hey, let me tell you what this thing does. They'd say, hey, executive, let me tell you what it does for your business. So to me, like we had to sort of pivot and again, take that stance, which I think is the correct one. But to me, it's more reactionary and staying current in the market that I think now is more focused on like executive top-down outcome selling versus bottoms up, you know, selling infrastructure sort of black box software. When you when you pitch Cloudera nowadays out in the market, it, it, as you said, it's a competitive space now between I mean, back back in the day there was just Redshift or a little bit of Oracle or you know, Teradata, right? Yeah. Um, but but you had sort of a green field. Now between Databricks and Snowflake and BigQuery and Azure and 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 it's 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 pretty crowded. How do you how how do you differentiate yourselves nowadays? Yeah, so you're right. Like there's a ton of things out there, and look, we even have um, companies and, and clients that that are sole um, open source, right? So they're like, look, like you know, we can download open source by ourselves. You know, we can get Apache NiFi, we can, you know, get Iceberg tied and we'll do it ourselves. But like that often takes a lot of talent. You need a big bench and a lot of budget to get that done. And some companies do it well, but a lot can't. So I think the way that we'll typically go to market and I think the way that we win is giving companies an easier way to get all this stuff done. So what we've found is that a lot of clients, as you said, there's a lot of things out there now. And a lot of companies sort of on an ad hoc basis added things on, right? So maybe they had AWS, but then they're like, hey, this team must use Databricks. They only use Snowflake and they want to use something else. So, you know, I term it, you've got to look at like spaghetti diagram. If you kind of graph it out, there's all these, you know, all these ingest flows and pipelines here and there. And like, 
you know, data is flowing back and forth and it's sort of inefficient. So the way that, that we'll pitch our services and the value is that we can, one, usually be cheaper, but two, we'll make it easier for you. So to me, it's sort of like having a, you know, before you build a house, like have a good foundation. To me, like, like we're the data foundation. It makes it easier, cheaper, cleaner, more secure. And then like go, go play with Snowflake, go play with Databricks, but push it through me and, and you'll know it's good and you'll save money too. Got it. Okay. That's cool. Um, this is, so this is a, a totally, totally off, off the wall question, but I, I remember, um, what, uh, I had a friend of mine who used, who used to work with you and earlier in his career, his manager took away, like he, they were so into Excel that his manager <laughs> took away his mouse so that he had to use the keyboard only and like keyboard shortcuts on Excel. And that was how, how deep into like that very specific way of, of working with data that business teams have been. Um, and, and you've spent a lot of years at big four companies doing essentially mm-hmm. data analysis, right? Yeah. Um, to what degree do you see that the evolution in data storage, data teams, analytics, the architecture that you're selling at Cloudera, how much has that changed the way that people work inside the big four organizations? Or is it still people getting their mice taken away using keyboard shortcuts in Excel? Look, I mean, Excel, it's still there. As you said, everyone knows their shortcuts. Everyone knows their, you know, keywords and things like that. But there is a big push in new data. I mean, like when I was at EY, you know, last year, I left in August, you know, we had a whole team that did dashboards and, you know, basic data lakes and analytics. I mean, there's a whole big, highly growing practice in that. So I think a lot of the consultant agencies you know, they, they, they've latched out and said, look, you know, building Excel models and things like that, anybody can do that. But what companies need help in is, as you said, like helping crunch that, help them even build basic dashboards, right? I mean, when you're in debt, you're like, oh, building Tableau or Spotfire dashboard is so easy. A lot of companies, as you said, if you're like a mid-sized company, you know, you've got a, a small IT shop, they don't have that expertise. So just being able to have the data at your fingertips is actually pretty mind-blowing for these companies. And I think that that's where it's going. So to me, the people I know that are still there that are succeeding, they are bringing in technology, right? They're, they're partnering with other people to bring in analytics, bring in data flows, bring in dashboards, not just model out an answer. So it, it's, it's more holistic and data is being key to that. Got it. And just for a clarifying question there, because I know that the consulting firms, they have the, the, the big, the big four, they have so many different elements of that consulting practice. Are they also acting as kind of internal data teams to some of these companies? Is that part of the services that they're offering now? Or are they setting up infrastructure and letting other people run it? Like how, what, what does that market look like? Yeah, and I think each of the big four and just all the companies in general, um, I think every consulting company has an agreement or alliance, as they'll call it, with one of the CSPs. So I think EY is tied to the hip with, I think, Microsoft, maybe PwC with Amazon or vice versa. 
And right, they've got teams that will go out to clients and help them, as you said, like stand up environments, stand up warehouses, data lakes, et cetera, you know, on these platforms themselves. Because again, you know, they've got a ton of people that are, you know, highly smart consultants, but the clients don't have that ability. So yeah, I think that's where a lot of these companies are going. And, you know, they're kind of the arms and the legs of the CSPs right now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, so one year in drinking from the fire hose, what 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 does five years look like for you in data? What do you what do you expect that things where where do you expect things are going to be going? Yeah, I mean that's a good question. Look, like a year in, sort, sort of like saying you know what's the answer to the lottery? I I, I didn't win last night, so I still don't know. Um, but look, I mean it, again, I think there's still a lot to do in this company and in this industry in general. I think there's a lot of companies like Cloudera where, again, highly product focused, there's a lot of ways to kind of change it and transform it to be more customer centric. So I think we still have work to do on that sense. Um, and look, like there's other things that, that I've gotten into as well. Like I'm on the Enterprise Data Management Council um, and that's, you know, taking time to help, you know, essentially it's helping enterprises or corporations that aren't data centric. Uh, find ways to to become data focused and data centric companies. So it's it's helping think through like like what we're, what we're working on is how do you value data. So to me, it's again you know if you go to a to a CEO of a of a mid-sized company or a big company, and they say hey we're we're looking to become data centric. If we do an acquisition, how do we think about data in, in the equation? You know we're working on ways to help them kind of think through that. So look, I I don't know where it's gonna this whole thing leads, but I think there's a lot of Currently, there's a lot of intersections of data and finance and strategy that I think still need to be explored and extrapolated. So I'll, I'll see where this goes. But so far, it's been interesting and I'm, I'm learning a ton. And I think every day is meeting different people and having conversations I didn't think I'd have a year ago. So That's cool. So, so on that, on that uh, Enterprise Data Management Council, I know, I know you're on the data ROI group. And this is... I'm interested in your point of view, particularly because you were on the business side of this on on the other side of the table, but but also now sitting on the data side, actually coming up with an ROI number for data initiatives has not really been possible or people haven't really done it effectively. And there's a lot of hand wavy ROI estimates Mm -hmm. that that people use internally I've personally been asked to justify my team's existence and point to ROI uh, many times. It's not it's not easy. So what are some of the things that you're working on in that group? Or what are some of the things that you see working or not working to answer that question from the business side? Yeah. And look, I think that's a question everyone struggles with, right? Executives and everybody, right? They're like, how do I quantify this thing that now drives business and drives society? Um, look, I mean, a couple of things. I think first, what we found is that the story of value is different and disparate. So meaning there, there's answers that are simple. So for example, there are marketplaces where you can buy data. So for example, customer data, personal data, it's easy to buy customer lists that are either very lean or highly complex and comprehensive. There's prices for that that you can almost benchmark. So Certain things like that are easy, right? It's sort of common data. It's it's market data. But the things that I think are more difficult is what you're talking about. 
And as we've kind of had discussions in this working group, we keep coming back to most of these things are going to be individual use cases. It's really hard to have a singular value for a piece of data for solve your company at delivery layer or Cloudera or at Snowflake. They're all going to be different. Because to me, the value of that data depends on what you do with it. So each company may have a different way they can um, leverage that. They can ex extrapolate from that, you know, drive revenue, drive profit, drive market share. And I, I think the answer, which is not great because it's complex, I think there is more of this finance slash data intersection where it has to be, as you said, kind of these business cases that can get squishy. But, you know, it's, I think, thinking through how do you unpack that and how do you support those assumptions? Because I think it's, from what we've seen so far, there's some really smart people in the group, much more than I am. And like, I don't think there's a, golden ticket or a panacea that's going to be the answer. I think it's going to be a lot of, you know, business case 101. You know, how does this change your business? What's the value to it? Unfortunately, I don't think there's a shortcut yet. Got it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting because when I've been in the seat and been asked to justify spend or justify why I, I've needed certain expenses or why the team should be the size that it's at. I really don't try too much to try to put a number on it. In some cases, it was actually easy to put a number on because mm -hmm. when I've had teams or products that were revenue driving with external customers, you could just point to, hey, we ran this business line. It generated revenue of X the cost to generate the data that that powered that business was far less than X, and that's how much it cost to generate the data for this business. So those those were very straightforward. The internal insights pieces were not as straightforward, and my pitch for those always was something to the effect of, you kind of know when data is helping your organization or not. Mm -hmm. And so... There's this cycle of improved decision-making, improved outcomes, and improved data culture, where it's a, it's a kind of a flywheel. The, the better you're doing with data, the better everybody feels about the support that they're getting with data, and the better outcomes people are having, and then the more people use data throughout your company. And, and, and people, people are pretty attuned, because if you're using budget for marketing analysts, that the marketing team would rather just put towards marketing initiatives, they'll tell you and they'll tell everyone else too. So for me, that's always been the good checks and balances is from a budget perspective, are the teams that you're supporting pulling that support from you and showcasing the impact through the senior leadership team? And if not, then you've got a problem. And frankly, your team probably shouldn't be that big. If the marketing leader is not getting enough value out of the money that the company is spending for the marketing support and the marketing team, and they'd rather use that to actually go to get marketing initiatives, maybe your mm -hmm. marketing analytics team should be smaller and maybe yeah. that money should go to marketing. So that's, that's, that's what I've done when I was on the other side of the table. Um, cool. Uh, all right. Um, what are 
what 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 is the most surprising thing that you've seen uh a year in that you because it's sort of like anytime you come somewhere into a new industry from something else, you look around, and you're like, wait, they do that, right? Like, how do they still do that? What What's your version of that for what you've seen with data people? What's the most surprising? I mean, I'd say the most surprising thing. So, like, I like I spend a lot of time in the market. So, you know, I'll be at conferences, be talking to clients. I think the thing that I find surprising is that again, in this day and age, you know, data is key to business success competitive advantage, everything else. I'm always amazed at the number of large companies where the data teams are like, I, I can't get any traction. You know, I, I can't get budget. You know, we're seen as kind of part of IT. We're seen as a support organization. And it blows my mind that that still exists as, you know, a, a company way of being and that they see data as a support function where data should be part of the DNA or the lifeblood. Right. I mean, in theory, you know, so if you're running the data team, you should have somebody on Sakonovan in a marketing. You should have somebody on Sakonovan mm-hmm. onto the capital planning team and vice versa. Marketing should be in your, in your R&D operating committee. Like there should be cross-functional uh, working or almost like cross-pollination within the organizations. And a lot don't have that. And I'm still amazed every time I find that of how common it actually still is. Yeah. I mean, do you find that in those situations that the people have a decent sense of the data just through random reports that they get and they're they're crunching it themselves in excel or is it sort of like a, a weak a low level of data maturity but still data exists or is it like absolutely nothing people are just flying blind yeah no i mean like in those circumstances um usually the the data lead to the data exec, they've got good handle on the data. But it's like there, there's not organizational buy-in to have that data be, you know, part of the strategy. It's again, it's sort of like they're working in a silo. You know, someone goes in and say, hey, I need I need some data. Can you support me? It, it's turned into a support function as opposed to a pillar of the business, which it should be. So to me, I think it's not do they have the data, it's what do they do with it and how much of the strategy is data usually it's not enough of it yeah got it okay that that i mean that's not surprising right data originally in big enterprises came from the it departments and in many cases still reports in through it is that is that also what you're seeing with most of the customers that you work with yeah yeah and i think that that's where the problem lies is that again it seen as support right you go to get your printer fix now you go to get your data and like that's it right they should be they're not part of the strategy. They're not solving problems. They're not dialed in or tied in. They're, you know, they're the guys that run the servers and, you know, they show me my uh, dashboard. That's all they do, which really is, is only part of the picture. Yeah, totally. It's interesting because I've found that there's this mixed bag when you try to take a team that's used to doing IT type of support on a queue and you try to turn them into a trusted advisor to senior executives because that's not something that everybody can necessarily, it's not a role everybody can play. And especially if you've spent 15 years 
taking taking que- taking queries off of a queue saying that tomorrow I want to go start having conversations with the CMO on the marketing strategy understandably everybody could look at the outside and wonder if that was going to work so i guess question how does that evolve what organizationally does it look like to get to get to the other side cuz i've been on the other side and i come from a little bit more of a startup tech techy type of background where I've kind of always been on that other side, Mm -hmm. but for the people who spent their entire careers, not on that side, like what is the bridge? Yeah. Look, I mean, I think it's a couple things. One, it is like transformational change. So there will be change. It it may be a bit painful, but in the end, everyone's better off. But with that being said, there, there will, there would be a bifurcation of where people go. So for example, but it's same thing as any business, Right. Even if you look in like finance and like hedge funds, you've got some really smart people that are in the back office, you know, writing quant code for a living. Like they're in a dark room per se, but that's what they're really good at. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's the same thing with the data orgs. You'll have people that, as you said, are seasoned, have done this for years. They know exactly what to do. They're very well suited to keep on doing it and keep on, you know, having things work and getting the answers out there. But you're right. They may not be the person that can be the liaison between data and the CMO or data and the CFO or data investor relations. They're probably not that person. So again, whether that's an outsider or if it's you know finding a person in that group that wants to kind of do something different, that wants to you know do what I did and say, hey, I, I want to kind of do a, a 180 or a 90 return right now. I think it's finding that person that can, you know, go up a notch, you know, take on something new. But you're right, it's it's not going to be every person's desire to even do that. And I, th- I think that's the challenge. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's good. It's going to be interesting to see how, how it plays out because there, there's also pressure on the other side in certain organizations for people not to necessarily want that thought partner, right? They like the fact that they have an analyst that just brings them data and they're not looking for someone to tell them how to run their department. So that's, it's uh it's it's an interesting interesting time in the industry. I personally think that we're going to move much more to the trusted advisor model or at least have some translation layer as you were talking about where business leaders are going to expect more partnership from their data teams because they're going to come across it in other organizations. And so yeah, there are some legacy places where that might not be the culture, but if you've ever been to a place where it's really worked, you're always going to want to get that back. So that's the, that's my, that's my thesis. And in terms of how to actually make it happen, I think switching people to single vertical support as opposed to just general everybody off of a queue is, is, is part of the transition. So you get some of the individual, cause, cause it's the other side of the shift is people who are fixing your mice or printers when they break, however many people you have to support whatever size of an organization you have, the, the, that, that work is fungible. Anybody who can fix a printer is going to be able to go in and fix any printer. I think 
the difference in the type of data support that you get between someone who's going to be a thought partner and someone who's going to pull data off of a queue is that it's not fungible on the other side because you gain deep expertise and knowledge into what people are actually doing in in marketing or in finance. And then you use that every single time you're answering questions for them. And if you're just taking questions off of a queue, then you're never going to get that. So that's my my personal point of view on how how you can make make the shift. And I think it'll be business leaders ultimately that pull it because they're the ones that are going to be used to getting it somewhere. And once you get it once, you're just going to try to get it back. Um, so it's fun. The, one of the cool things about data is that it's always changing. And as you said, jobs always change and industries transform itself. Um, what, what One of the things that I love about the fact that you jumped into data is that you're following essentially every other data person who jumps in not really knowing everything or how it's going to go because data is data is too broad a category for anybody to have any reasonable chance of like naturally coming across it and so everybody that i know just jumps in and 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 learns a lot as they go along um when you think about it from like the skill and background climb that you have to make, right? Like you're not a data person, jumping into data, providing data leadership to companies, making that connection between the the data and the business. Like what are some of the key skills that you that like walking in you were like, okay, these are some of the big things that anybody who's trying to get into data or any business person who's trying to understand data should should learn first or try to get a handle on first. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, like to me, again, I just start from the beginning. I mean, like we're like we're an open source based company. I had to, you know, even research like what open source projects do we even leverage? I mean, I, I knew about zero salt. I'll be totally blunt. But the thing I learned and which is what I learned coming out through consulting is that you surround yourself with other experts that, you know, it's sort of like, you know, competitive advantage. Each person is probably really good at a certain thing and you surround yourself with that team. So like when you go and talk to a client or when you're strategizing on how to make a pursuit work or how to upsize a win, you know, yes, I'm there to help tell the story, you know, help the team translate the value and, and kind of have the why for the client. But, you know, we, we've got, um, a sales engineer that that knows the coding, that can write the architecture, that knows all those bits and bytes that I don't. And, you know, you've got your you know, customer service person as well that can tell you about the support tickets and, you know, what's been going on. So to me, it's, it's you know, it's it like any executive team. You, you sort of build each person's, as you're saying, on the skill set. You know, when you're talking about the CMO, each there's a skill set. And I can't do this by myself and neither can my account exec. But we kind of put everyone together, sort of like Voltron, right? You're, you're this much bigger thing than you were by yourself. And I think that's pretty powerful. And each person builds off each other. And I think that's actually how it should work. You can't expect one person to, you know, write the code, sell the code, tell the story, market the story. It's not feasible. Well, you're talking, you're talking to someone running a bootstrap startup. So hopefully it's somewhat feasible. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. And you know what strikes me from listening to, you know, some of the things that you're talking about here? And this is a good lesson, I think, for any data person that's listening. Um, how quickly 
your learning is uh, accelerated by going out and talking to people in the market. And I've I've seen this now. I'm about a year into delivery layer, and the amount that you learn in sales, talking to customers and prospects and understanding what people are doing and why and what their problems are, you could you could never independently sit in a room and read a book and get to the place that you get by talking to people. And Absolutely. I've always talked to people. Like I've I've been I've been a big and I've always been a big proponent of like having people on my team go to conferences and and build their own networks and make sure that they have places and and people that they can they can talk to. Um I've I've had like we've had like team meetings between two different teams of my friends. My friend was running a data team. I was running a data team. We get our teams together and everybody would talk, right? Like I've done a lot of those kinds of things, but sales is like a whole other level of, of learning. And it's just been so, it's been really interesting over the last year. And it's interesting to see from, from your end, like kind of how quickly you feel a part of it. Probably a big piece of that is the fact that you're in the market talking to people. Yeah, but, but look, but you, you have to be because that's how you understand one, how to sell your product because you understand like, what are your clients actual concerns? What are they trying to solve? What's the like, thing I always tell, tell my execs, I'm like, find out what the use cases are. What is a client running our software with? Are, are they running governance? Are they reporting to SEC? Are they running analytics? Are they processing credit card transactions? Find out what they're doing, and you can have a compelling conversation on why we're important. If you can't tell me that, it's tough to have. It's tough to say why stick with us because we don't know. And you're right. You you have to you have to feel asking those questions and get to know people and saying, you know, how things going with you? Like what what's your challenges? Like even like what's your KPI? What are you trying to accomplish this year? What's what's on your your bucket list? And guess what? They'll open up because no one asked them that, and all of a sudden they're open book to you. Yeah. And is that, is that where, cause I, I imagine the engineer, like, is that, is that the engineering leaders that you're trying to open up or are you trying to extend the conversation to the business side as well? I mean, like usually, uh, yeah, usually uh, it depends on the audience. Usually I try and focus on the, on the business lead, but then like at conferences, like I'll be, I'll go to data conferences. So it's all, you know, it's your, you know, CD, your CDO, your VP of analytics, things like that. So it's more so kind of business where I'd say they've got the business acumen, but they're still very data focused, almost brought up in the data world. So it's sort of threading the needle of both, right? Because they know to succeed and they want to help the business accomplish the goals, but they're, they're also running data. So they have to be focused on, you know, how, how, how do I make the sausage at the end of the day? So they're sort of, you know, they, they have two roles to play and I have to kind of help them answer both those questions. Got it. That's interesting. Any other thoughts on how data people can help improve their business acumen? Um, look, I mean, I tell my AEs, I'm like, again, I put on my consulting hat because I spent years there, but I think consulting, it's a great place to start or at least use as a playbook because they teach you from day one how to dissect a business, how to dissect your customer and how to kind of you know convince them that you're their best advisor. And to me, a lot of it, it's, it's research 101. Like you can find 
so many things just by you know putting in even like Google Finance. You have to buy some fancy thing like Bloomberg or Capital IQ. Even like Google Finance, like what what are your what are your target's competitors? Um, like what like what do they say in the last investing investor conference? Like did did they get yelled at by shareholders? Did, did they kill numbers? Were they off? Like what's going on? And to me, it's not. I'm not asking you to write a hundred page thesis statement on why company X is the best buy. It's what are their issues that you can find? And that's not often done. I mean, so to me, it, it, it's, it's that basic blocking and tackling of just know your client, but also know what they're doing and why does that matter? And then you can tie in your solution, like whatever you're selling as a software data product, you can probably tie it in to their problems if you can find their problems. And that's the first part of that. Sometimes, you know, we're like, I have the best product. What, what, what does it do? Well, it's a great product. It's, it's too product focused not customer centric. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Ben, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to, to chat today. Uh, where can people follow you to stay up to date on what you're doing? Yeah. So typically uh, I'd say follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's the best place, whether it's blogs I post on there, you know, comments, things like that. Like Saul, I'll continue stalking all your postings as well. But yeah. Find me on LinkedIn. Always happy to uh, network, brainstorm, things like that. So just uh, glad to be part of this kind of data community. So it's been very interesting so far. All right, great. Well, welcome. The water's water's warm and uh, excited to have more business data, cross-collaboration. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for the chat. I think it was really interesting. Sounds good. And everybody, thanks for listening to the Delivery Layer podcast. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye.